Happy Resurrection Sunday. Amen. Get your Bible in your hand. Last year, we were not able to be together, and I had to preach to empty seats, send it out on the internet. So praise God that we're here today. Amen. Amen. We had a great time for a service. I'm trusting God to meet us again. Lord, we thank you for the word this morning. We thank you that you're alive, that we don't serve dead things, but we serve a living God, that you're not the great I was or the great maybe someday, but you're the great I am. So Father, we ask you today as we've worshiped and felt your presence, that the Holy Spirit would open up our hearts and minds and drive truth deep down in our hearts, Lord. Let us be changed today, not by a message, not by a lecture, but by the word of God. Change us from the inside out. Fill us with your truth. We ask it in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. So it is Resurrection Sunday, and I've mentioned that a couple times. But before we jump into our message today, I want to talk a little bit about Easter. You might look around as a Christian and go, what's with all the rabbits and the chocolates and the baskets and the eggs? Anybody? Now, we need to understand a little bit of history and where this stuff comes from. The origins of Easter are rooted in a yearly celebration that was in cultures that were not Christian long before the church adopted them. I want you to understand that the Babylonian pagans, they worshipped a fertility goddess called Ishtar. It sounds like Easter, doesn't it? And Ishtar was something that they, you know, they looked to, to for fertility in the spring. They celebrated that. The Anglo-Saxon pagans also worshipped a fertility goddess called Eostre. And in the spring, they had a festival, and it was all about fertility. And if you know anything about rabbits, they reproduce quite efficiently. And so that's what it is about the rabbits and the eggs and the baskets. Now, baskets full of chocolates, there's none of that in the Bible, but I'm thankful for it anyway. Amen. Anybody ever feel the Holy Ghost when you eat a Reese's peanut butter egg? Yeah. So the Roman church took all of these cultures and they tried to meld them together, to galvanize them together into one tradition and to broker some cultural inclusion, and they come up with Easter. And it's not about fertility, it's not about rabbits, it's not about eggs, it's all about the resurrection of Jesus Christ today. And that's what we celebrate here. It's Resurrection Sunday, amen? And we celebrate the fact that Jesus overcame death, hell, and the grave. He's risen this morning. I haven't said all that. I want you to know two things about today before I jump into the meat of this message. The Bible never sanctioned that we celebrate this day. It's cultural. It's not scriptural. Amen. Culture's not all bad, but it can't, it can't be more important than the word of God. Number two, our focus cannot be on fertility rights or rabbits or eggs. That's culture. But our focus must be squarely on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So one last time, I'll say, happy Resurrection Sunday. He is risen. Amen. We celebrate... The fact that Jesus rose from the grave, that he conquered death, hell, and the grave, that he broke the power of sin once and for all. Today is a big deal because we celebrate not traditions, not culture, but we celebrate the fact that Jesus broke the power of sin. We celebrate the hope and the life and the salvation that comes from that empty tomb. You see, if the tomb was still full, if he was still there, if his bones were still there, then we should have stayed home and slept in today. But the very fact that he rose 
from the dead means we have something to celebrate, the salvation, the life, and the hope that comes from that empty tomb. Now, we know all about the biblical events that led up to the empty tomb, how Jesus came to earth, born of a virgin, born in a manger. He grew up to, to embrace the cross. We know how they laid him in that tomb and that he did rise again. But we need to recount these biblical facts because that's what's important today, that we remember what Jesus did for us. I don't know about you, but every time I've, we've seen our passion plays here, uh, if I've seen the movie The Passion, I get overwhelmed with the amount of suffering Jesus embraced for us. It is sobering. It's overwhelming. We know the biblical facts of how Jesus got to the cross, but let's rehearse them a little bit. We know about Judas and how he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Could you imagine betraying the only innocent man, the only man who never sinned? Could you imagine betraying him for money? The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. And we see that that's true in every respect. Yet Judas chose money over Jesus. After he watched him heal the sick, cast out demons, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, he chose a bag of money over Jesus. We know how the religious leaders railroad him with false witnesses in the kangaroo court and they charged him with things like blasphemy and, and saying he was going to tear down the temple with no spiritual insight. They, they condemned him as a blasphemer, the only one who spoke, spoke truth, the word of God. Emmanuel, Christ with us. The religious community rejected him and condemned him. We know how he stood before Pilate, and Pilate thought he had the power to free Jesus or to have him crucified. And Jesus let Pilate know, you have no power or authority over me. In fact, Jesus refused to defend himself. We should remember at times in life, we don't need to defend ourselves. The righteousness of Christ speaks for itself. Pilate had no power over him. We know how the crowd chose Barabbas, a murderer, over Jesus, the only sinless one to ever walk the earth. They chose a man who killed others. They said, give us Barabbas. What shall I do with Jesus, Pilate said? Crucify him. What about the, the cost of that decision? Let his blood be upon our heads and the heads of our children. How it must have broken Jesus' heart that his own received him not, that the people rejected him, that a murderer was chosen over him. Then they beat him. They put a crown of thorns on his head with those long, thick Judean thorns. They beat it down upon his head till blood flowed over his brow. They made him carry his own cross, though he stumbled. They were brutal in their scourging of him. The religious crowd mocked him. He saved others. Why can't he save himself? They mocked him and called out insults to him as the Romans crucified him, nails piercing his hands and feet. He extended salvation to a thief on the cross hanging next to him. Even in Jesus' moment of great pain and passion, he thought of others. He said to that thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. He said of the Romans banging the nails, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. See the tender compassion of Christ for sinful humanity. Even at the moment of his betrayal and his torment, his heart is for those who are lost. 
we know he cried out on that cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? For the first time, the son and the father's connection was broken as Jesus became sin for us. He literally became that vicarious substitutional sacrifice, taking upon himself all the sins of humanity for all time. And at that moment, Father God could not look at him because he became sin. And so that union for the first time was fractured, and Jesus cried out. We know he hung his head when he had completed his mission, and he said, it is finished. And he died on that cross. He died in our place, and it was finished. From that moment forward, he had decisively dealt a death blow to the power of sin over the lives of humanity. It is finished, and it was finished. You see, the moment Jesus died, the moment he said it was finished, that moment set the stage for the resurrection. The resurrection wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't a scramble in heaven as the father thought, what shall I do now? It was planned from the beginning. It was his mission to die and to rise again and to break the power of sin, not for his benefit, but for ours. Luke 23 50 through 56 gives us the, the next details of what happened as Jesus died on that cross. It says here in Luke 23, starting in verse 50, a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, he had not consented to their plan and action, a man of Arimathea. So we're speaking of Joseph of Arimathea here, a city of the Jews who was waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in a linen cloth and laid him in a tomb in uncut rock where no one had ever been lain. It was a preparation day and a Sabbath was about to begin. Now the women who had come with him from Galilee followed and they saw the tomb and how his body was laid. And then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes on the Sabbath day they rested according to the commandment. So here Jesus dies. He's taken down. Joseph of Arimathea gets his body from Pilate. He's wrapped in a simple linen burial shroud that for some of you who follow this, there are many who say that that's the shroud of Turin that bears the image of Christ. He's placed in this unused tomb, Joseph's tomb. In verse 54 and 56, the women spring into action. They prepare burial spices, but they never get to apply them to Jesus' body because the truth is he wouldn't be in that tomb long enough to begin to decompose. In fact, the psalmist prophesied this. He said in Psalm 16, 10, for you will not leave my soul in hell, you, nor will you allow your holy one to see corruption. Jesus never was placed in the tomb to decompose so that his bones would be left behind. No, he wasn't in that tomb long enough. They prepared burial spices for him, but they never got a chance to put them on as they rested for the Sabbath. These next events happen. In Luke 24, 1 through 9, it says this, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and they found the stone of the tomb rolled away. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in gleaming clothing. Apparently, angels got some nice clothes. 
and asked the woman who were terrified and bowed on their faces to the ground. The men said to them, why are you seeking the living one among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be handed over to sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise from the dead? And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven at the day of rest. So the women are going to apply those spices, but when they get there, there are, Jesus is not there and the stone has been rolled away. There's no need for burial spices because he's already on the move. He's already risen. Uh, Jesus is not there, but two angels are, and they have a question for the ladies, and then they have some fantastic news. The question that they asked the ladies is a question for us today. Why are you seeking the living one among the dead? You see, you can't find life among dead things. You'll never find life in dead works. You'll never find life in dead religion. You'll never find life in dead ritual or ceremony. You will only find life through relationship. Jesus is not dead. Why would we search for life among dead things? The fantastic news was he's not here, he's risen. And so understand the fact that Jesus is alive and he's not there. And these ladies are given the opportunity to, to first hear about the fact that he's alive and then they get to run back to the 11 and tell them that Jesus is not in the tomb any longer. Amen? Powerful moments for the church, powerful moments for these ladies experiencing the resurrected Christ and, 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 and sharing the news. Now, Jesus being alive at that moment for his disciples meant everything to them. They were disillusioned. They were scattered. They, they didn't know what to do next. It meant everything that Jesus was risen, and he appeared to them over the next days, and for 40 days he showed himself to be alive. There's enough historical proof that Jesus rose from the dead to prove it in a court of law. It's indisputable. So many eyewitnesses to the account that he had risen. It meant so much to them, but what exactly does it mean to us 2,000-plus years later as believers? Fast forward to Philippians chapter 3, and the Apostle Paul tells us exactly what the resurrection means to us, that he is the modern-day follower. Uh, we are followers of Jesus Christ, but he's long since been risen. So what does it mean to us? Listen to Philippians 3, 9 through 11. If you take your notes today, just write that down, but listen to what it says here. The Apostle Paul says, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. So we're not righteous by the good works that we do. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Amen. Now listen here, Paul in verse 10 is going to give us the meaning of the resurrection. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if somehow I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So in the, that verse, those two verses right there, Paul is telling us what the resurrection means to us. And here is the first thing. The resurrection, number one, means that we can know him. We can know Jesus. How many people know Jesus out there? Amen. We can know Jesus. It says what? That I may know him. Now, I want to tell you something this morning, and I know you know this, but I got to mention it here. You can't know a dead person. Anybody? 
My great-great-grandfathers, I can know about him. I can know about them. But you can't know a dead person. Listen to me. Uh, because a, a person who is dead can't be known, the fact is that, you know, if I study about a person, if I learn the details of their life, if I know when they were born and when they died and all of these things, that doesn't mean that I know them. Amen? Check this out. If I read everything that history provides us about Ben Franklin, and I know everything about Ben Franklin, then I memorize all of Ben Franklin's favorite quotes. He's got some good ones. And I use them in common conversation throughout the day. You talking to me? Well, I'm giving you a Ben Franklin quote. And, you know, I'm in the Ben Franklin fan club. And I've got a Ben Franklin screensaver. And I got Ben Franklin tattooed on my arm. And you all agree that Pastor Rick is the, the biggest Ben Franklin fan we have ever seen. Still, I can never know Ben Franklin personally. I can never say he's a friend of mine. I can never have access to his presence or have a mutual exchange of ideas with him because Ben Franklin is dead. But Jesus is alive, so I can know him. I can have a mutual exchange with him. I, I can feel his presence. I can hear his voice in my heart. He can speak to me through the word. Jesus is not dead. He's alive. So therefore, I can know him, and you can know him too. Amen. Do you know him today? The tomb is empty. Intimacy is possible. Jesus is not dead. He's alive. Number two, the second thing the resurrection means to us is this. It means we can plug in to the power source. Say, power source? What are you talking about? Listen, here it says that I may know him, amen, in the power of his resurrection. See, you can't mention the resurrection without talking about resurrection power. Power was released. People don't just rise from the dead. People don't just overcome sin. In fact, to that point, no one had overcome sin, and no one had risen to the point where they didn't suffer decay. Jesus was the first. We're going to talk about that. But let me just say some things about the power of his resurrection. Things that need to be plugged in when they aren't are not very useful or impressive. If you got stuff that needs to be plugged in, listen, your refrigerator, your washing machine, your dishwasher, all great things, right? Can we say amen for modern-day appliances? I love my ice maker, amen? I grew up in a house where we had two ice cube trays. You had to fight for ice cubes. I love those appliances, but if they are not plugged in, I mean, did you ever see just go to the dump and look at them all just st stacked up? Worthless, scrap metal, useless. How about, ladies, you go on a camping trip and there is no outlet on the oak tree for your curling iron and your hair dryer. Now, those things are worthless. You hold them, you can't plug them in. You, you, you can't even just go through the motions. Da, 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 da. The only thing you could do is use them to bludgeon the person who convinced you to go camping. How about a dead cell phone? Most worthless thing you'll ever carry in your pocket. A paperweight, Amen. A de an extra sketch is more fun than a dead cell phone. At least you can make steps, you know, you can entertain yourself a little bit. The young people are like, etcher who? Sketcher what? How about your high-speed gaming computer? How about your 70-inch flat-screen TV and the power goes out? When the power goes out in my house, it's just I'm surrounded by everything that doesn't work because it all plugs in. The things that you can't plug in that need to be plugged in are not useful or interesting. And understand some things today. 
you know, we need to be plugged in to be useful to the kingdom of God. Jesus' resurrection makes it possible for us to plug into the power source, to plug into the power of God so that we can do exploits for our God. Amen? Without the resurrection, there's no ability for us to plug into that power. What does it mean to walk in resurrection power? It means the ability to overcome sin, to be more than a conqueror. It means that we can reconnect with the Father. Why? Because the sin that separated us from God has now been dealt with so we can have a relationship with God. It means we can walk in victory. It means we can live a spirit-filled life. You understand in the Old Testament, no one was filled with the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost rested upon people for a specific time, for a specific person, purpose, and then he withdrew himself. But now you and I can walk in spirit life full of the Holy Spirit. Woo! (laughs) Romans 8.11 says this, but if the spirit of him that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall quicken your mortal body if that spirit dwells in you. You, man, I'm looking out there. You look tired this morning. Some of you don't look quick, but I want to tell you something. When you get the Holy Ghost, he'll quicken you up a little bit, amen? He'll put a little bounce in your step. He'll put a smile on your face. He'll put the joy of the Lord on you. Come on, some of you are going to get it. He'll put the joy of the Lord on you this morning, amen? People are going to look at you and think, what are you smiling about? Wonder what you're up to. That same spirit that raised Christ from the dead uh, will quicken our mortal bodies. Why? Because now we're plugged into the power source. We can walk in resurrection power. We're not defeated anymore. We're We're not victims anymore. We're now the victors, amen? Are you stuck in sin? Plug into the power this morning. Are you stuck in addiction? Plug into the power this morning. Are you stuck in a rut this morning? Are your relationships falling apart? Is your marriage going down the tube? Plug into the power this morning. He's alive. It means we can know him. It means we can plug into the power source. And number three, it means we can identify with Jesus Christ. What a privilege and an honor it is to be identified with Jesus Christ. When Peter was at that time where he was being grilled to whether or not he knew Jesus, one of the last things he said is, I don't know the man. He could have identified with Jesus, but he denied him three times. Yet this same Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, refused to deny Jesus and insisted on being crucified upside down because he felt unworthy to be crucified in the same manner of Christ. You see, the Holy Ghost makes all the difference, our willingness to identify with Jesus because we're filled with that same spirit. It says, now, being identified with Jesus sounds like a good thing, amen? Some of you are not taking the bait. Until you read the text and it says that we will know him in the power of his resurrection. What? And the fellowship of his sufferings. Uh Uh-oh, pastor just said the S word in church. Yes, suffering. A lot of people tap out at suffering. No, I don't do suffering. No, I didn't sign up for suffering. You know, that's, you know, we get all Randy Jackson on it. That's going to be a no for me, dog, on the suffering. You know, I don't know. I'm out. And when you hear suffering, you might think, you know, that's not what I signed up for. But the truth is, suffering is part of the Christian walk, and suffering is part of life. 
There's two kinds of suffering. There's foolish suffering and there's redemptive suffering. Foolish suffering is when we do stupid things and we sin and we suffer the consequences. Redemptive suffering is when we suffer for the name of Jesus Christ and it, and it adds to the eternal weight of glory that awaits us because we're willing to identify with Jesus. Now, whether you say, I don't do suffering or I want to keep the suffering to a minimum, suffering is not our choice and it visits us as God prescribes it through our lives. Suffering will touch all of us. That word fellowship there literally means participation. So it's our participation in his sufferings. Now, if we claim to be Christians, that word Christian means little Christ. That means we are identifying ourselves with Jesus by calling ourselves Christians. And that implies that we identify with him, that we are like him, and that we should project his image through our lives. You know, the whole point of the drill of being a Christian is not to pick a religious affiliation. No, the whole point of being a Christian is to be conformed to the image of Christ, to have the heart of John the Baptist that says, I must decrease and he must increase. What the world needs is not a better version of Rick. What the world needs to see is Jesus through Rick as I've been crucified and lost in him, amen? So we've got to identify with Jesus. Christians in name only, Christians in, you know, because that's what it says on my birth certificate or this piece of paper because I sat in church and my butt print is on the seat and so I'm a Christian. Come on now. Being in church don't make you a Christian any more than sleeping in a garage makes you a car, amen? You must be born again. We must identify with him. Part of our identification is in water baptism, for those of you who know, if you, you open that cross up there, there's a baptismal tank behind there. And we're going we're gonna to start water baptizing people again real soon. Hundreds and hundreds of people have been baptized back there. You say, why do you do that? The Bible says if you believe and are baptized, you'll be saved. So baptism is part of our Christian experience. It identifies us with Jesus' death burial and resurrection when you say well how does it do that when you go down into that water that's death and burial amen don't believe me i'll hold you there for a while okay <laughs> then when you come out of there that's the resurrection amen you're coming out the old man is dealt with you're coming up in resurrection power and a newness of life today amen water baptism it's not a ritual it's not you know this symbolic religious thing that we do it's identification with jesus's death burial and resurrection also, suffering identifies us with him. Jesus suffered. You say, why did Jesus have to suffer? Because his holiness and his, it clashed with the darkness of this world. When you and I are persecuted by unbelievers, when you and I are persecuted by the world, that, that's not because of us. That's because of the holiness of God in us, amen? It's because of the Jesus. You say, well, I'm never persecuted. You better get more Jesus in you, Amen. You're not supposed to be in step with the world. You're supposed to be out of step with the world. You say, well, everybody likes me. You better be careful if everybody likes you, amen? Beware when all men speak well of you. <laughs> Most preachers say, I've never had a beware, amen? Because there's always somebody who doesn't like you because of Jesus in you. You say, well, what's going to happen when that happens? There's a clash between two kingdoms, darkness and light, and there going to be persecution identified to that. So suffering identifies us with the holiness of Christ. It clashes with the darkness. You say, well, why in the world would I want to suffer? 
to identify with Jesus. And just know this, that suffering brings with it some awesome eternal rewards. How many like rewards, amen? I don't want to get to heaven and have a bill. You know, you go to the desk there, Mr. Leonardo, there's a bill for you. I'd rather have rewards, amen? I'd rather have some things to cast at Jesus' feet. I'd rather have a crown, amen? <laughs> but suffering brings some incredible eternal rewards with it. 2 Timothy 2.12 says this, If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we suffer with him, we'll reign with him. We're heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We are gonna, the church is going to reign and rule with Jesus in the millennium. The church is going to enjoy his presence for eternity. That's an awesome reward, amen? We, we suffer now. We go through a little hardship now. But our, the suffering we experience now is not to be compared with the eternal weight of glory that lies ahead for us. Romans 8, 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Look at that. It's beautiful. So if, we be, if it be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Amen? I don't know about you, but I want to hear well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? I don't know about you today, but I'm willing to suffer with him because he first loved me, and while I was yet a sinner, he died for me. Some say no to suffering, and implicit in that text there, it says if we suffer. So there's some degree where people can shun the suffering, but it's foolish because for the temporal enjoyment or the peace or the, the, the comfort that we enjoy now, we lose our ability to rule and reign with him. We lose our ability to be glorified with him, and we, we reject being identified with him. It's as if we're Peter saying, I never knew the man. What does the resurrection mean to us? It means we can know him. We're plugged into the power source. It means we can be identified with Jesus Christ. There are rewards connected to that. And number four, the last thing I want to talk about today is this. The resurrection means to us as believers that we have an incredible hope beyond the grave. Life seems really long when you're young. But when you get older, the pages start turning faster. Amen? All the people over 30 are going, yes, yes. Eighth grade seemed like it was 100 years, and now I'm getting letters from AARP. My wife always makes sure to hand it to me. I make sure to throw it out. But understand something all of us are going to go home to be with the Lord someday. And, you know, in eternity, God knows our beginning and he knows our end. The scripture says it's appointed once unto man to die, then the judgment. Amen. God knows the day that you and I were to be born and he knows the day he was going to take us home. And so for Christians, we have this incredible hope beyond the grave. Look what the text says. If somehow I may attain, that means to arrive at, the resurrection from the dead. Paul is saying, I can know him. I can plug into his power. I I'm identified with him. I'm going to rule and reign with him. But when my heart beats its last and I take my final breath, I'm going to go to be with him for eternity. That's an incredible hope to have today as a believer. Now you say, why are you spending so much time trying to make this point? Because we live in a world right now that is terrified of death. 
We live in a world right now where people are willing to lock themselves up voluntarily and hide from a virus that 99.7 people survive. And why? Because people are scared to die. Now, you might not have woke up this morning and said, I hope, it's, you know, I, hope I get to die today. You know, we don't choose suffering and we don't choose death, but it's appointed once unto man to die. Now, we got a world out there that they don't know what's going to happen when they die and where they're going to go when they're dying. If there's anything other than when you die and what happens in this and so many questions and so they're scared and they're terrified, but the Christian shouldn't be scared and shouldn't be terrified, amen? Paul said to live is Christ and to die is gain. Someday he's going to take us home. There's nobody in heaven going, ah, I want to go back. I want to go back. You say, you ever been there? I ain't been there, but I know a little about it. And I know my God has been preparing, you know, a place for us and preparing mansions for us and, and where he is so we can be also. And it's a good thing and it's a God thing. And I'm excited to go. While the world's terrified, the church should be excited about going home to be with the Lord. Why? Because for the Christian, it's a promise of a better place in the presence of God for eternity. John eleven twenty five says this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believe in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And the life. Why? Because he was the firstborn from the dead. Listen to Colossians 1 17 and 18. And he is before all things, speaking of Jesus. And in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, listen, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. Jesus is the prototype of resurrection life. He died as an example for us that we could look and say, if he rose, we can rose. Why? Because we're in Christ, amen, and he's our hope of glory. You and I are not going into the ground to be worm food. You and I are not going to float around in nirvana and be lost and just, you and I are not going to be annihilated. There's a part of all of us that will live forever. And for the believer, we're going to live in the presence of God for eternity in total bliss and peace, amen. The resurrection means we don't have to fear death. We have an incredible hope beyond the grave. It means we can identify with Jesus and Jesus can shine his light into the darkness through us. It means we can be plugged into the power source and it means we can know him. Let's bow our heads today. Father, I pray for everyone within the sound of my voice today. And I pray for anyone who's sitting out there saying, you know what, I've heard all about Jesus. I, I understand the implications of him being alive but I've never gotten an opportunity to ask him to be my personal Lord and Savior. This morning, I want to give you that opportunity. You say, well, what will, what will that do if I ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior? The Bible says, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Christ from the dead, we would be saved. God made salvation so easy. Come to me, admit you're a sinner, receive Jesus as your Savior, and I will erase your sins. I'll write your name down in the Lamb's book of life. I'll change the trajectory of your life and secure your eternity. I'll fill you with the Holy Spirit and give you the power to live a different life.
You say, wow, that sounds great, Pastor. I want that. What does it cost? It doesn't cost us anything. It cost him everything. It's why he died on the cross. It's why he said it is finished, that whosoever would call upon his name would be saved. If you're here this morning and you want a clean slate and a fresh start, you want to be forgiven, you want your eternity settled, I want to give you an opportunity to invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life. How many people here today would say, I want to do that today? I want to invite Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Don't be shy. God bless you, sir. God bless you. God bless you. Ushers, you keep your hand up. Ushers are going to put something in your hand. You're, you're not joining a church. We don't want your credit card. We just want to pray for you. God bless you, sir. Anyone else? Hand back there. Good. Praise God. Praise God. God bless you, sir. Don't miss anybody. Ernie's pointing. Most important part of our service today, it's what Resurrection Sunday is all about. Let's pray a prayer together. Say, Lord Jesus, I recognize you're the Savior, and I confess I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive my sins. I repent of them. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me the power to live a different life. From this moment forward, I belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, welcome to the family of God. Welcome to the family of God. Praise God. Maybe you're out there thinking, can a simple prayer change the trajectory of your life? Absolutely. When I was 14 years old, in this very place, I prayed that prayer. My life has never been the same. God grabbed a hold of me when I was a young man, and I got to avoid all the misery and stupidity of growing up in a dark world. And that's for you, too. So I encourage you today, if you prayed that prayer and you got that packet in your hand, read the book of John, connect with God, begin to pray, continue to go to church, and you'll grow. From this moment forward, everything will be different because of Jesus because of the decision you just made. So let's do what the angels are doing right now. Let's give God a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. He is risen. Jesus. Praise God.